0: Cineboys to Cinemen, episode 9. Hello. Hello there. Hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Quickly, before we kick things off, a huge thank you to uh, our dear friend Annabelle for supplying oh yeah thank you so much
1: yeah yeah we would have been lost without that yeah so
0: whenever we stretch our already thin resources when we have an additional Uh, yeah on on an episode so thank you much appreciated yeah your laptop probably won't be usable after this oh no no no. i mean probably floating the bottom of a river you'll be able to find it in the avon yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so uh this week's episode as promised a deep dive into canon films Mm. the history Reasons for its popularity, an exploration of the masterminds behind it, some deep analysis on some of their finest works, mm. and I guess uh, a little bit of discussion about what their appeal is nowadays. Yes, yeah. it's, it's certainly quite interesting
1: for these yeah. films. And, oh man, yeah, it's uh, a topic, itself the topic. way they've aged is just fasc- fascinating. Like a fine wine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk
0: talking fine port. <laughs> fine port. <laughs> Sorry. That's fine. Talking of fine wines, ooh. We have our second guest and it was only fitting that we had him on given that we're talking about Canon Films. The man that introduced me to this beautiful film production company, Lee Markham.
2: Close the doors. Um, sorry that I wanted to do my own like kind of Mark Maron kind of yeah, intro. Yeah. So yeah. like we'll see if that all works out. But yeah. if not, um, you know, we we move forward. And um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm glad you've gone from kind of a deep, kind of thoughtful, quite soulful episode where you're kind of talking about the meaning of life and you know, what's going on in the subconscious and you've gone, oh, we're going to do one about kind of explosions and shirt- <laughs> shirtless ginger men. Yeah. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, I oh, know, I'm going to get Leon. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you for the invite. I'm, well, I'm
0: honoured and I'm humbled. Um, well, yeah. No, thank you for coming on. And yes, we... You know, we like to we you know we like we we said we'd stay highbrow and i think we're going to do that now aren't we really yeah. it doesn't get more highbrow than the output of Golem and Globus does it <laughs> you're not wrong no.
2: and i think no other kind of studio really kind of understands the human experience more than uh, films such as kind of ninja free the domination and um american ninja 4 and um Invasion USA, I think yep. they really, you know, they really talk about the kind of, you know, what's going on in the soul. Yeah, so, the collective human condition. You know, yeah. So I think it's a perfect follow-on.
0: I think so.
1: Questing the cinematic
2: void. Okay, so
0: before we start getting sweaty, talking about sweaty men. Big sweaty. Big sweaty <laughs> men, their bodies lit up by machine gun fire.
2: Isn't this a sweaty boys to sweaty men podcast? <laughs> sweaty boys to sweaty yes, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny I have noticed as the podcast going I do get sweatier. Yeah. <laughs> the act of just sitting down and talking about films like makes it like yeah. Yeah. makes me warm.
2: That's the closest we're going to get to exercise, is <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking about films. Fucking hell. Um I guess before we start getting into the sort of yeah, the main meat of it. I thought it'd be quite interesting to sort of probe you about the sort of the appeal or the the, the appeal of Canon films output for us. Because and the reason I ask you is because I'd I'd seen a couple of the films, but I'd never made the connection to the studio. Uh, and it was you that said there's this film studio called Canon Films. Obviously, you knew that I was, you know, that I like Chuck Norris and all that kind of stuff, but you tied it all together for me. So how did you sort of come across this company? And
2: why do you think it is that to people like us, there is a sort of appeal? It's when I did my master's, I... Um... I befriended. Uh, I'll give him a shout out on the podcast. A friend of mine, Arthur Ward. When you're doing a film degree, it's obviously a lot, lot more of a kind of more highbrow kind of films that you're watching. Mm. Like it's, yeah. uh, you know, your your Italian neorealisms, your kind of classic Hollywood or your Czechoslovakian new yeah, wave, yeah, Romanian yeah. goat herder drama. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, but we like and we talk about stuff like that. But then like. We always tended to have kind of an affection for kind of the 80s kind of action movies. Like, the yeah, the are really crude, over-the-top. They're always overtly and hilariously right-wing. <laughs> Not that I agree with the politics, but there's always just something funny and crude about... Yeah. Almost like right-wing art. It's always just... There's no <laughs> yeah. subtlety whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, good, uh, yeah. And... Um, We'd talk about it more and more and we'd watch more films together and we'd watch so many of these films and then the, the Canon Films logo would always come up on these films and you knew whether it was going to be like really entertaining or really shit, you knew that it was going to going to be entertaining when it had the Canon logo in front yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'd watch like your Chuck Norris films and your kind of Charles Bronson ones and... Uh, I don't think it was actually a canon production, but I think they also released the um, L- Lufarigno Sinbad f- film, which is uh, without a doubt one of the most shocking and appalling films I've ever seen in my life. But it is absolutely hilarious and so we, entertaining. We had an
0: experience with that, didn't we? We were watching that together. We, and, I, and I started to get an erection whilst watching <laughs> it. And, and that is a genuine. Really? I, I, I really don't know why. I'd Lou oh, Frightno, I guess. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, I honestly, I I feel like Canon would have loved to have you around in the '80s because that's the sort of thing they could put on a poster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This gave me an erection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that. So like, the more we kind of watch these sort of films, you we, we wanted to know like what, like, who is this studio? Who are the people? Mm. It just like the more you read about the studio and the people involved, so you got Manakum. Golan and uh, Yoram Globus Oh yeah, Um, the lads Yeah, Golan was always the more creative kind of force and Globus was like the kind of financial kind of sales guy to very over the top Israeli immigrants who moved over and like the kind of studio almost encapsulates the American dream. They just absolutely bought into it in such a crude way. Yeah, crude. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just there's just even if some uh, oh a good majority of films are absolutely shocking. There's just um, there's just something so charming and wholesome just about the kind of aspirations of, like the American dream that they encapsulate. Yeah. in such. Yeah. A tacky way, but in the same time, a wonderful way. <laughs> yeah, I
0: completely agree. And I like the idea, before we sort of get into the talking about the history of the company, because it is something that's almost as fascinating as their output. I like the idea of sort of leaning on these films for some kind of catharsis, particularly when you're studying film, right? I think, because we would do that during our, during our, our BA, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, together. We would have our weekly, well, every week or two, do our... Shit film nights, wouldn't we? We'd yeah, up and it was. Oh yeah. Just thinking about it in that context. I mean, it's always. I guess that's always sort of been the reason. But these films are catharsis in the way that you don't really have to sort of think about them too broadly. I mean, you no. can. Yeah. And mm. because, they, they, as we'll discuss later on in the episode, there is definite sort of academic worth to these films, and it's yeah. in a cultural context, which we'll discuss later. But I think, um yeah, the idea of just sort of being able to just cut loose and just immerse yourself in some of these wonderful. Horrible in times and unbelievably shit at times as well films I don't know there's something in that which I really like
2: no, I think you're right, like and I think it's important as um to be able to appreciate any film for what it is and what it's trying to do, yeah, um I' say not everything is gonna kind of change your kind of world view or make you kind of you know <laughs> just think. Like, they're not going to necessarily make you think. Sometimes you also have to look at a film as like, is it doing what it's trying to achieve? Or, like, you know, are you getting out of it what you want from it? Mm. Like, you know, and ultimately, these sort of action films were ultimately just they wanted audiences to have a good time. Yeah. And that's what they do. Um, Yeah, yeah. And it's important to appreciate those as well because it's very easy to get down especially when you yeah when you get into kind of film academia like it's very it's very easy to get down the route of kind of dismissing them and just ignoring them or just not engaging with those anymore but it's in a way that's also still what a lot of the joy of cinema is it is
1: the trash yeah yeah you know yeah they're like they are they're plain sort of dumb fun aren't they they're sort of Not, not, I think these films aren't the same kind of pure dumb fun as something like Bullet Train, right? So they, you know, because they're, because of the age of the films, combined with, you know, the things that they get, like sort of semi-prestigious Blu-ray releases or Arrow and things like that, it sort of adds an air of prestige to them. I always (laughs) think, I think it's like, it's like you're visiting a museum or something when you're watching them and they're, they're like a window into into the past and what people enjoyed in the 1980s mm. so yeah there's some merit to them to this day and just, I think in that respect they're just fascinating
0: yeah agreed I like that yeah because they have become incredibly collectible oh yeah I mean yeah. I was
1: looking on Amazon for Invasion
0: USA because I realized I didn't have it in my blu-ray collection because oh, I'm the kind of person that looks on blu-ray collection and goes oh I need some Chuck Norris in there <laughs> but um, impossible to find so it's really collectible, these things. And um, mm. yeah, it's an interesting point. i would not quite considered. I like that. Mm. So let's go right to the beginning. The history of Canon Films. So 1967. Seven. Yeah. Ah, so doing their research <laughs> as well. Research. There yeah, we go. Yeah, absolutely. So man. the company was founded by not and Globus. It was no. some of that. I should have that written down. Clearly, <laughs> the research <laughs> only went so
1: far. Stephen. I don't know his
0: surname. Stephen. Yeah. Steve. Steve. And it was a company that weirdly in a sort of similar vein to how they would operate when Golem and Globus took over to some extent in that they would... They invested low and scored quite high. Yeah, yeah. So they had a few releases, Oscar nominated, made quite a lot of money. Mm. And after a couple of real strong hits, they um, end up a few years later uh, facing bankruptcy in 1979. So 1979 is when our lads, Golem and Globus, come along. Ah. And uh, they... um, they they purchase the company.
2: I think I think ultimately I mean, most people who like would watch a Canon film or know at least a little bit of Canon films will mostly know the Golan and Globus era. Yeah. Like that's the kind of mem that's when they kind of go from a micro production company or kind of mini studio into at least attempting to make themselves into kind of one of the big five or six studios and try and take on your kind of universals and your warner brothers and your columbias they they have they obviously do a similar thing where it's going low budget to aim to get the massive profits but uh they absolutely have aspirations to be like the next warner brothers
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's obvious, isn't it? I think you see a few interviews, that is their clear ambition, isn't it, from day one. The way they went about their business is just incredible, though, isn't it? I mean, they... The way they operated in terms of how they sort of sold their films, acquired rights for new films. I mean, these guys were so cocksure;
1: they would sell pictures for films or sell films that weren't even being developed. Yeah, yeah, they would at Cannes. Didn't yeah, they? yeah, yeah, they used to go to Cannes the and Globus be like, was like just a, a salesman, effectively. Yeah, wasn't just it? imagine yeah. a film yeah. Yeah.
0: and go to Cannes, the most, arguably one of the most reputable film festivals in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, and just not even have anything but sort of still managed to sell shit i just don't yeah. get how that works They're, yeah
2: they'd wing it they'd just you know they'd go they'd go to Cannes and they'd have meetings the whole time they'd uh, they'd put a big show on hey like um i'm sure you guys did as well but got a lot of the research from the documentary electric boogaloo yeah um, oh, yeah, yeah yeah which is the yeah a documentary about um these two um characters they'd have meetings all day and yeah they'd just go to like some financier in Greece or distributor and go, Oh, we're gonna make this film and he'd make a film up on the spot, it'd be like, Oh, it's ninjas and breakdancing and can we have two million dollars and you guys can like release it in Greece. Yeah. And they'd be like, Yeah sure and they're like brilliant, we've got two million dollars we've got to somehow come up with this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they'd go from there and they'd do the same in the Asian market, they'd do it in the South American market or wherever they could kind of get any money to kind of finance their films and then they'd make the film accordingly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they
1: also, um, they have a bit of a checkered history of intellectual property, so uh, missing in action, apparently, was one of them heard about James Cameron's story treatment for Rambo Part Two, First Blood? Part oh two. yeah, 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 and, yeah, uh, and so they were quite reactive. They weren't like, although they they kind of would, they had the ability to come up with films on the fly. They were reacting to what was happening. They weren't really mm-hmm. being that innovative, which is not by no means a criticism, but it does speak a lot. to... If you watch a lot of their output, it's like. It's being reactive. Right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think, and
2: also, I think one of their, um, they did, a, I think a bunch of, them. they did Breaking and they did a sequel to that. Breaking, which was apparently a, actually quite a good film. Then they did a sequel called Breaking to Electric Boogaloo, which is considered one of the worst films ever made. Um, <laughs> but apparently that just, that that, that idea originated just from his daughter telling him, like, she likes breakdancing.
1: Oh, really? And then he's like, oh, I've got
2: to make the next breakdancing movie. And then no. there, there we go. you got two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love
0: that about them. And it's interesting you picked that point up as well, because they were, they were about the Rambo 2 yeah, thing, because yeah. they were people that they would have their, obviously had their ears pretty close to the ground of what Hollywood was doing. Yeah. And they would hastily create... <laughs> Just ape a film. Yeah. in King Solomon's Mine. Oh, yeah. Basically, just yeah. obviously mugging off Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, you know, these guys were unashamedly prepared to do these things. Yeah, and I just, I, that's really admirable. You know, even yeah. if like missing an action isn't, I mean, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't have a particular reverence for Rambo 2 anyway, so I'm not really that bothered. But, it's weird that James Cameron wrote a story for Yeah, before yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like they would go, right, get Chuck Norris in or make a revisionist Vietnam War film, you know.
2: And the other thing about the mission in action um series is they actually shot the second one first. Oh. And because yeah. it was um basically so bad, they thought we cannot that like, so they were supposed to shoot mission in action one and two at the same time. And the first one that they shot was like so bad and Chuck Norris apparently did not look good in the film or whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that that is a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's quite an art in itself. Yeah, (laughs) but it was so bad they were like, okay, you know, we need to do something here, and they got another director in for the which was supposed to be the second film, and realised that was actually a much better film. I think they reduced his dialogue and just focused more on what you want from Chuck Norris, which is just kind of shooting people and kicking people <laughs> in the head uh and I'm still it, waiting I, for his stage
0: production in Othello but I mean carry on
2: <laughs> well you know I've been in talks um but sadly it, he's not got back to me yet but um you know one can dream yes yeah so they ended up releasing the second so missing the <laughs> so missing an action it's pre- is actually <laughs> Missing Action too. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's like a um, weird prequel. But, yeah, yeah, yeah but and
2: it was purely just absolute instinctual winging it yeah. and going, all right, this one's better. We've got to put this one out first, otherwise they aren't, they're not going to watch the other one. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll hook them in. Yeah. If the second
0: one's shit, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I like that, which it is. The second yeah. one is dreadful. Yeah, I like that. And it, what I find really fascinating about them as well is obviously we... A large portion of this discussion will be sort of more focused on the sort of NAFA end of the spectrum on their of their output, yeah. um, but they managed to sort of for a long time chug along quite nicely, making the sort of missing in actions, the Delta forces, the American ninjas, etc., etc. But they also could make highbrow stuff. I mean, they managed to sort of like have sort of almost run these two things parallel. Yeah, which I think I mean it's not unheard of, but the fact that a company like that, who operate like this with these two sort of cowboy film producers, yeah. can then yeah. also because it sort of suits them the the sort of the trashy B movie action stuff. Yeah, yeah. But For then sure. all of a sudden they're also making quite highbrow stuff. I mean that's crazy,
2: isn't it? Yeah. So they they yeah this is where the kind of aspirational kind of side comes in because obviously they were very successful at making the, the, the low budget action films with like a massive profit, Um but They, yeah, they had aspirations for something bigger than that. They wanted to be prestigious. They wanted to be respected. And I think some of that must have been from the kind of, like, immigrant dynamic Mm. of being the kind of, like, Israeli outsiders in Hollywood just wanting to be kind of accepted. And in doing so, they kind of went away from the kind of low-budget kind of action, kind of model. They'd still make them along the years, even in the late years, but they would uh, cut that in with... um, kind of very high-budget, very indulgent films from kind of very respected directors, and it's admirable in a way, and, like, you know, you've got to give it credit, but, yeah, they would give, like... They gave directors like John Luke Goddard... Um...
1: It's a Shakespeare thing, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah he, did. he
2: did a version of Othello. <laughs> there we go, you see? Oh, wait, no, King Lear. King Lear, yeah. They, um, it, yeah. they <laughs> also did Othello a, a as well. Yes, they did, yeah. Um, yeah. Um...
1: They, didn't, they put a few plays on or they tried to put some plays on apparently. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. And, um,
2: um, yeah. yeah they, they released uh, Barfly as well which is a Mickey Rourke f- uh, film which is an adaptation of a Charles Bukowski novel which is excellent but a lot of these movies yeah they would give these directors because they wanted the prestige and they wanted to have these kind of big names they would give them as much money as they wanted to kind of make whatever they wanted and uh it didn't always go well because uh <laughs> yeah. you know as much as um you know i always kind of aspire for like kind of unique films and filmmakers to get as much creative control as possible you you sometimes when it goes too far you start to understand why studios give notes yeah. and um <laughs> yeah some of these films would uh, they basically did the opposite of their model where they'd have a high budget and make absolutely nothing back at the yeah. box office.
0: Yeah, and this is where things started to unravel, wasn't it? And I guess the, the tipping point uh, was their sudden obsession to sort of start the superhero craze or jump on it because... Uh,
1: yeah, they own the rights to Spider-Man, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah so they yeah. bought
0: the rights to Spider-Man. I think mm. we're going to sort of go into that a little bit now because that is crazy in the sense that Obviously, Sony have owned Spider Man our, our whole lives. Yep, and I never knew until very recently that that had happened that they owned that they owned the rights to Spider Man.
2: Yes, um, yeah. I also recently learned about this kind of development. I, I know that they also. Um, I mean, if there's any diehard Superman fans out there, they might have seen the film Superman Four: A Quest for Peace, Ooh, baby. Um, <laughs> which. Again, I think you can tell kind of a trajectory of whether a film is going to be good and bad in comparison to the first one. When, for example, the first Superman I think would be shot shot in the big Warner Brothers studios and shot in a location like New York and stuff. And <laughs> um, Superman Four was filmed in Milton Keynes. Um <laughs> yeah. and um, I've always thought of it as, as yeah. Metropolis. Exactly. Whenever exa- I've exa- been through exactly. Milton Keynes, I think, do
0: you know what? This is So, you know, this is is Metropolis. I'm
2: I'm glad you said it. And, you know, anytime you'll go to like Milton Keynes train station, like, you know, you'll be like, oh, it's just like I'm on the set of Superman 4 Quest Piece. (laughs) Um, And they also did a film version of uh, Master of the Universe with uh, Dolph Dolph Lundgren Lundgren. as He Man and a young Courtney Cox. Oh, yeah. Um, And Frank Langella as Skeletor with a kind of face that looks like the kind of outer rim of Brie. (laughs) Um, <laughs> rather than skeletal, <laughs> um, brie ride, yeah, <laughs> and good um, name for a superhero, that. Yeah, the, but Then yeah, I, we happened to discover the fact that uh, they also had the rights to Spider-Man. I don't think they necessarily seemed to understand what Spider-Man was. They had no first. clue, did they? they no. no, they just oh, had the no. name, and I think they kind of mistook it for some sort of kind of universal monster movie, like the Wolfman or like like kind of Dracula. So I believe if I'm not mistaken, their initial plan, they were going to have Toby Hooper who uh, directed the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to direct, uh, direct it. And I believe it was going to be about kind of like a, some sort of medical experiment gone wrong where this Peter Parker turns into this horrible the fly esque kind of spider like human with like horrible kind of body horror and very visceral and uh not not what little kids are gonna have on their lunchbox. No. Um, <laughs> it was like a like a giant mechanical
0: spider as well, I think. Was that involved somewhere? Or was uh, that uh, in s- a, sadly John, for John you uh, <laughs> say
2: for the the legendary uh hairdresser, husband of uh, Barbara Streisand's slash <laughs> movie mogul, <laughs> which is John Peters. uh oh, okay. Who, uh, if you've uh, seen the film uh, Licorice Pizza, you've uh, he is the character um, that Bradley Cooper plays. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My mistake. But that is uh, that's. I think you probably almost do a bit of a podcast on him alone because he's quite the incredible figure. I think he recently also got married to Pamela Anderson um, okay. for a, a day. Oh. Um, <laughs> Cool, um, you know. So he's yeah. still out there. Better be, better be, Thing
1: though. there's yeah. a bit of a connection there. I don't know. I don't know if it's. Uh, it might be unwarranted completely, but it, the he wanted a mechanical spider in Superman, didn't he? That, so oh, he, he hired did, Kevin yes. Smith yeah. to do. It. I'm not sure if it was any in any way related to canon, but um, if
2: if only the two minds can. Conc- if if somehow we could have got John Peters and Menachem Golan in a room together, <laughs> you would have made magic. It would have made <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no money whatsoever, and um, you know. Most people would hate it but I feel like the free people here would absolutely we be would the have loved it. that yep. film. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> um that's true. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of gutted now. So sort of sad about that. <laughs> Never happening. Um sort of staying with Superman that was kind of the film that really almost bankrupted them wasn't it because they paid Christopher Reeves a lot of money for that film. Yes, and because it was his, the, the the plot for it was based on some sort of like nuclear deterrent, anti nuclear war sort of narrative.
2: As, essentially, yeah, they, And that they, was the was bargaining y- chip he used, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, to Canon to get the film. Essentially, that, and I think I haven't seen it. Was supposed to be actually quite good. I think was it was Streets of Fire. I think it was. But he, um, basically, yeah, the only way they could get him to agree to do Superman Four is like he gets to. <laughs> Make an anti-nuclear war movie with Superman four, and he gets millions. to make get yeah. millions, and he gets to make Streets of Fire. Um, so Christopher Reeve's got a good deal out of it. But yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and nobody asked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Milton Keynes, Milton
1: Keynes, Milton Keynes, well. yeah. Milton Keynes on the map. Did. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
0: and that's the thing, isn't it? Like uh, the the budget was slashed so many times before the film. Filming even started because of the amount of money they gave to Christopher Reeves. Yeah. I think
2: also in the same... I think it might have been the same year or around that same period, they also gave Sylvester Stallone, I believe it was a record at the time, 25 um, 25, million to make a film called Over the Top, which is essentially Rocky, but instead of boxing, it's arm wrestling. Yeah. Um, God. And mind you, apparently at that point Sylvester Stallone's usual kind of paycheck for a film was roughly about four million, so uh, quite... <laughs> He took them to task. Uh, he, didn't essentially, it? yeah, they he kept saying no, no and they off. just kept raising raising the price. Why do you think they do that? Do they just think that it's Stallone that we're gonna make this back? As- well, yeah, Absolutely. It yeah. was that, you know, we wanna be the big and I think their idea was like, you know, you gotta put money in to get it back. Um well, but the idea is you know yeah. don't put in money you don't have because <laughs> <Yeah. Don't laughs> it might not come back <laughs> to a, to a man
1: who's going to front a film about a fucking arm wrestling. <laughs> yeah, they had um, Cobra uh was one of their ma- the biggest successes and that had Sylvester Stallone in it. And that was that cost 25 million which was the entire oh, Stallone's shit. entire okay. fee for this film, but it made him like 160 million. So they clearly knew they clearly like thought Stallone's the uh, man. We gotta get him back to yeah, get those yeah. returns back again. Um, be it. But it's, I, I actually quite like Cobra.
2: Yeah, but I think mm, you know um, Stallone as a cop, kind of shooting bad guys, is probably you're probably gonna get more of an audience for that than arm wrestling. He's a trucker, it? isn't he? He is. He's... Yeah, he's a trucker who I, f- I think he's ha- having some father son time. Yeah. yeah, and you know <laughs> they're a bit estranged, and are oh, come on, who we'll go on the road, get in the truck with me. And uh, he en- he's like, he enters like an arm wrestling tournament, and yeah, it's supposed to be like I said, just like Rocky, like kind of he's the underdog, and like and there's supposed to be these really dramatic kind of like you know like like the box you know like the boxing matches in Rocky, but obviously you can you can shoot a you can shoot a boxing film and you can have so many angles and you can make it so dramatic because you know. But it's a lot more difficult to get any sort of dramatic tension out of just two arms. <laughs> um, it's not really much tension, especially something which uh, is usually going to last about twenty seconds. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's not much drama in that. And uh, but apparently, uh, Menachem Golan uh, thought otherwise.
0: I just love the idea that the only way that Stallone's son in the film would ever dream of reconciling with him is by winning. An arm wrestling competition?
2: Well, you know, this is where I have to come in and confess um, it's how me and my own father bonded. <laughs>
1: uh, Was that just you two in a shed in Skeggy? <laughs> Shirtless. <laughs> Were you there? <laughs> yes, I was. Well, you guys you guys would get a tour, tour the uh Ron Seal headquarters, weren't you? That's what you yeah. were doing in Skegness. Yeah, a trip to Ronseal. Seal and you had a few
0: <laughs> carlings and just thought, uh, you, know, you, two, you two started arguing and you started getting really into this idea yeah. of having an arm wrestle yeah. and I was just
1: there.
2: And then all of a sudden it was the Skegness World Arm Wrestling Championships. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we won't say who won, but I think ultimately humanity won. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you've never been closer. No.
0: So, there you go. So, okay, then let's go into some of the films in a bit more detail then, because we've sort of talked about uh, Golan and Globus's sort of um, both barrels approach to uh, film creation, distribution, the way in which they would unashamedly tack themselves on to sort of major cultural moments or pieces of work to yeah. sort of make money, as you <laughs> alluded to the fact that they would fucking spunk money up the wall on an arm wrestling film and a shit superman film <laughs> so these people you know are fascinating but i think their films say as in a way that i think i sort of alluded to this earlier but i think it's what a real rarity that this ethos within the company is so representative in the films they make i really feel like it's like the sort of almost at like the heart and soul of their films mm. um but recently we 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 undertook for you guys, of course, we undertook a little a little trip through one of their most beloved franchises, mm. indeed, indeed. Uh, And uh, I think it's a good place to kick off the discussion: the Death Wish series, of course. Yeah, uh, Charles Bronson's uh, riding high after the success of um, the Magnificent Seven and
2: the Dirty Dozen and the
0: Dirty Dozen. Yeah, and then he probably this is the defining moment in his career, is it not? <laughs>
2: so, so it's, pr- it's probably like what he alone is like. Most famous for They'll be his most famous standalone movies. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like he was in the other films, but I feel like they also like they have like the likes of Lee Marvin, Steve McQueen, and stuff like that. There's I'd a lot say, of star power there, isn't? Yeah, there? this is like the first, for lack of a better word, what and um, what we use now. It, this was his franchise. Yeah,
0: agreed. Uh, the first film. I mean, we'll talk about them all, even though the first film is not a canon film. Is it? Mm, no, no, that's a Paramount release. Paramount, and the fifth film was actually funded by uh, 21st Century Films, which was... which Was it okay. Golan's? Yeah, Golan's, Golan's uh, follow-up. Follow-up after yeah. Canon went bust. <laughs> um, but we'll talk about them all anyway, because I think it makes sense to. What is it, do we think, that makes this film so popular? If we consider it in the context of the action film, so if we think about well, the action film in the 80s had such a uh, place culturally, I guess to me i would feel that it sort of very much tied into the american ideology at the time yeah, the sort of dominant american ideology at the time there's a lot of obviously literature around this you know the hard body being you know the, the sort of muscular nature of these action heroes like stallone
2: yeah like
0: yeah. schwarzenegger becoming these symbols of america's cultural superiority and almost sort of inviting this sense of um a sort
1: of fantastical representation of that of that Ideology, yeah, like an uncorruptible, impervious driving force. Yeah, which is like, yeah, it's like every man for himself, which is like in itself a very kind of American ideal, isn't it? You yes, know, the, the, yeah, the American dream is you can do it on your own. You know, like it's yeah, and with the sort of total disregard of any kind of official policing as well. Yeah, like, allowed yeah. to go about their business. Like obviously, Deathwish Three, he he is working with the police all of a sudden. Yeah, the police <laughs> seem quite happy. Yeah, yeah, and this is
0: what we're going nicely then to the discussion about Deathwish is that. We're moving away from the sort of almost the. F- there is a lot of fantasy still in Death Wish, a lot of troubling fantasy, which we'll unpack in a moment. Yeah. But it's the domestication of the action hero, isn't it? It's taking it away from, you know, the sort of like the the muscles and the military background and plonking it in a sort of semi-relatable character.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the the films are almost in a way it's like the, uh, it's it's quite clearly the kind of middle class sphere of kind of both the working class and the kind of underprivileged yeah um, yeah, yeah like you know that all all people in the in the cities uh anyone who's a minority anyone <laughs> anyone on, yeah. who is basically is not middle class and uh you know doesn't wear a cardigan uh is probably gonna mug you and maybe uh <laughs> Do something a bit more sinister to you. Yeah. And uh yeah. yeah. You know, if you're not an
0: architect, you're not worth yeah. you're not worth the time.
2: <laughs> um I do also think it's important to add that um one of our beloved uh, co hosts uh also <laughs> oh, happens yeah. to oh, yeah. also happens to share the same surname. Yeah. Uh with uh you know, we cannot confirm whether um Ben Kersey is any relation to Charles Bronson's character of Paul Kersey yep. um we you know we'll need to do some sort of kind of DNA test to kind yep. of figure that out oh, yeah.
1: I was told that Kersey was a type of cloth but I'm now skeptical after yep. having yeah. seen Death Wish one two and three uh, yeah. ideologically you're quite similar <laughs> yeah well <of> course. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: do you like either architecture or violent murder uh
1: I don't know why you said "or" because both of those things appeal to me greatly, oh, okay, as yeah, you fair. both know. Uh, the vigilante <laughs> justice is something I dispense uh, in the yeah. nighttime, which is going to have to dash off in about half an <laughs> yeah. hour actually wow. to, to make yeah. a start yeah. cleaning up the streets yeah. of Bristol. Yeah, of well, yeah. any any people I refuse to acknowledge desperation. Cursey yeah. by name,
2: Cursey by nature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad oh. you mentioned that because I completely forgot. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. The, and also the other. Um, thing I realised when doing a bit of research on these films so uh, the original uh, novel which uh, Death Wish is based on the character is actually not called Paul Kersey either. It's actually Paul Benjamin. So yeah. <laughs> there's, uh, s- some sort of, yeah, there's some sort of weird connection I, I genuinely... either way uh, with you and this uh, main character. So uh...
1: I, te- I texted my mum and texted her the trailer. And I was like, do you notice anything about the surname? I was kind of hoping because that, that's such a bizarre connection. I was like, have you inadvertently named me after the... Lead characters in both the novel and movie adaptations yeah. of *Death Wish*, <laughs> but yeah, there you go. Uh, no, yeah, it's it is it is quite troubling. I mean, they haven't aged brilliantly in that respect, have they? In terms of like the oh, the God, way no. they portray society, like it it really appeals to that that kind of people's um. It appeals to people's basic sort of knee-jerk problem-solving capabilities. Yeah. Before you actually think about something, you know, it's just like, oh, we can do this. We'll just destroy everything and yeah, start yeah. again. Yeah. Spot on there. Yeah, I think that, and it it doesn't play well today in that respect. No, although no, not at all. Obviously, we're we're kind of viewing them as a as an artifact, right? And mm. almost as a comedy in a like the strange way um they haven't you know you can you can look back on them and think like jesus christ some people actually used to think like this and perhaps still do today but it's almost funny how overt it is you know
2: well i mean there's ultimately like they they are in many ways enjoyable films like there's yeah. There's a ridiculousness like the action is entertaining and I feel like there is just something all, like there is always if you take away the kind of any sort of political message from it and there is something just enjoyable about revenge in a film. Yeah. I think because you know it's in a film and you know that you know this isn't reality. This is ultimately some lunatic's fantasy yeah, of what he time. thinks revenge is. Obviously it is definitely troubling that they have to um portray and show absolutely disgusting kind of acts of violence and their Se- sexual the, the, yeah, violence. Sexual violence and... They really over egg it, don't they? More uh, and more. Particularly yeah. in the
0: first three. It gets worse the sexual violence. Absolutely. It? And it serves no. the plot in no, no. no way at all. It is yeah. just
2: absolutely one a technique for the director to Get some breasts on screen, yeah. and like it's a way for him to go. All right, he's gonna shoot whoever he wants consequence free because he deserves it. Because all these horrible things have happened, and he needs to get vengeance. Yeah. Um, so it is like it's they are all and like. like you know, a moral... Conundrum. To say, yeah, to say a conundrum's a kind of understatement, isn't it? Like, it's, uh, you know, you were playing... At, it's, a um, you know, moral acrobatics to kind of, uh, yeah. like, justify it. But if as long as you learn not to take it, like, serious... Yeah. Um, like, you can get enjoyment out of the kind of cartoonish kind of revenge violence, but obviously... Like, it's also important to acknowledge how kind of troublesome it is. Um, but that's, yeah, that encapsulates a time that, yeah, in, in, it's absurd to say that there were, yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, a lot of middle-class people, that is sadly how they saw what, you know, how they saw kind of inner cities and mm. kind of minorities. that That's awfully how they saw them. And, like, in a way, it, it is like an artefact of the time, Yeah. Just even watching them.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Go on, Ben. Sorry. No, sorry. I just think, like, obviously, police corruption in America around that time was rife, right? Especially in, I think it was Los Angeles and New York. Am I right in thinking that? It was just, like, really quite (laughs) troubling in itself. And so this film could be viewed as a sort of response to that, uh, as a kind of like, well, we have no other choice. We have to take the law into our own hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you know, you've got a sort of 60 year old Charles Bronson, and there's the object of his affections is quite often like a 25 year old journalist or something. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> and it's funny to think about it back then, but it's portrayed as an entirely like Legitimate, genuine romance, yeah. you know? It's just quite yeah, funny. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I think um, the, the the deprival of nuance is central to the popularity of Canon Films' output, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, like and, and within that deprival, as you as you've sort of touched on, or both of you touched on, is that that's where the sort of troubling aspect of it is in terms of the popularity, because when people view something a certain way, they're not going to want to think. Well, it might be some social economic reason that's deeper than just someone being evil. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But the canon films can't do that because if you have that, then you can't have the violence. No. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's. I don't know. I find that I find that element sort of fascinating, and that's sort of like the the appeal of these films in particular, or these films in general. And I think what you said, both said of them as cultural artifacts, is really true. Mm. And I think if we're going to reflect on periods of history as one should with a critical eye, then you should view the culture that people were consuming at that time, warts and all, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, It doesn't yeah. serve anyone to sort of just ignore these films and pretend they never happened. No. Um, um, and I think that's why it's really important that these films are watched. I and mean, I don't want to say that that was the reason for <laughs> yeah. us watching, you know, American Ninja, for example, uh, although it's laced with deep social commentary. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there is something about that, about sort of reflecting on these films... Seeing the funny side of it, but also acknowledging the danger, the dangers of that, the yeah. dangers of depriving nuance, the dangers of viewing cities and vast communities of individuals as you know subhuman almost, yeah, yeah, and deserving of Paul Kersey's brand of punishment. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's just a really fascinating point. um well made by both of you. So let's sort of unpack a couple of elements of the films. Obviously, we're not going to go through all five films, no. <laughs> but um, you know, there's a there's a sort of an arc, isn't there, throughout the film, uh, throughout the series. Sorry, that it just seems to be that Paul Kersey can never be happy. Yeah, uh, and the um, the reason for this is, of course, the poor, the malnourished, yeah. the ethnic minorities. <laughs> you know, peddling drugs and causing all sorts of. Um, well, being the main instig- instigators of the social and cultural rot at the centre of America, mm-hmm. yeah, in his eyes, yeah. let's sort of jump into that a little bit. I mean, what is your favourite One of the of the five,
2: I think. I think I'd have to say, Death Wish Three. Um,
1: okay, the Mad Maxi one. Like, yes. they were like Mad Max villains in the third. Yeah, world, I
2: yeah. 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 I, I think I think cause that one, it probably is the most kind of quintessential kind of canon film yeah uh, in a way because like like we've kind of mentioned like the first the first death wish i say that's a paramount picture but it's it's done very seriously straight it's almost along the lines of kind of like a dirty harry Mm. or something like there's there's like a there is a serious tone in it
0: there's a polish to it as well Yeah, 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 yeah it's
2: quite it's quite slick and it's like well made but then like you get to death wish free and this is when canon have got absolutely their claws in it yeah and uh, some of it filmed
1: in london as well to save on yeah, yeah. money yeah. yeah
2: yeah and it's yeah it's it's like um, yeah he's back in new york and it's apparently now new york is this like yeah mad max dystopian hellhole where if you leave your house for even a second to get a breath of fresh air there's a good chance you're going to get murdered, blown up, stabbed, all of the above, almost in a way where you just become like kind of like a Looney Tunes character. Like yeah, the the, yeah, the, the yeah, violence yeah. is so kind of cartoonish and ridiculous and almost has no resemblance of like humanity whatsoever. No, um, no. But you quite clearly can tell, even a writer or a producer, whoever is uh, told the writer what to write is that it... This is somebody who obviously has a lot of money and has not entered an inner city ever, <laughs> yeah. and this is this is what they've read from like a right wing newspaper, uh, what they envision, what the streets are like. That's
0: it. I mean, oh, yeah. what I find really funny about the presentation of youth culture in that film is again, I mean, you said the Mad Max thing, which obviously suggests that if we leave the world to these people. There will be an apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. But also, like, the way they the way they treat the locals will, will go from, like, them running up to you and going, ah, and start like, kicking their shopping out of their hands, and, like, <laughs> yeah. poking them with sticks and laughing at them, yeah. to shooting them in the face. Yeah. But there's just yeah. no sort of, yeah. you know, like, it's, they're just crazed, yeah. you know, but the sort of, the crimes they, they are sort of pulling on people range from sort of mildly irritating to, yeah. like, the worst things you yeah. can do to people. However, the last half an hour... It's pure canon.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's it? more explosions in that than I think I've ever seen in any other action yeah, film. Yeah, because like...
0: up until that point, I mean, how old's Bronson by this film? Oh, he's in his 60s. He's in his sort of mid-60s, and I think he's like 64, yeah. 65. Yeah, yeah. He sort of shuffles around like a de-feathered puffing <laughs> for most of the film. <laughs> yeah. Just like, you know, like, just while we're on the subject. I mean, his face, <laughs> I mean, he looks more and more like a sort of, like, Saint Bernard. The older he gets, yeah. <laughs> a sort of bipedial Saint Bernard clad in leather with a machine gun. Yeah. It's amazing that he managed to keep. I mean, he was a fit, fit fella, wasn't he? Yeah. And if you watch the stuff it, but...
2: even like ten years before this, uh, he did the film. Was it Hard Times of Walter Hill? Oh, great and film. Great. Mind you, at film. that point, he's still, he's still, he's in his fifties, but he looks incredible. Like he. He's, playing like a bare-knuckle boxer. Yeah. And there is a... like He he looks like one. <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he's got abs like marbles. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, but then he's just got this face of like, you know, I will kill you. Like, I mean,
0: it's it's brilliant. Walter Hill does such a good job with characterising that. Yeah. You know, like, it's interesting that Winner... Winner does get a certain kind of performance out of him, which is sort of bizarre and kind of... But it works, but... It's it, very but
1: indifferent. It, yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> but
0: he'll channels that same energy into actually quite a sort of self-reflective performance it's strange yeah. isn't it how you can have the yeah. same sort of tools but yeah. different directors can get
2: i, f- I feel like uh, just in case as well just for the audience well uh, whilst we're at it i know it's a bit late in the kind of podcast but uh we're not talking about the infamous uh, british prisoner charles brunson um <laughs> yeah. he is safely in jail and uh did he want to come out though get a, like a a
0: caravan in, uh-huh. in Cornwall. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the English Charles Bronson, yeah. <laughs> not not Death yeah. not, not Charles the deceased Bronson. Charles Bronson. <laughs> yeah, he's actually not dead. He's yeah. he's faked his own death and lives in a caravan outside Saint Ives. maybe if, <laughs>
2: if there is some sort of kind of like um, you know, I can imagine like a documentary on Dave. With the two Charles Bronsons in a caravan. Yeah, cruise. that'd yeah, be great, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would. Yeah, like
1: a Frost Nixon interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> going fishing and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. yeah,
0: but I mean, he's still there's still physicality to Charles Bronson, though, isn't there? I mean, in the third one is probably the most physically demanding in terms of like running around this sort of like sun scarred urban mm. nightmare with yeah. a with a variety of ridiculous weaponry. I mean, I really like, really like. In terms of the context of Death Wish, I love The Last Half an Hour. Yeah. In a sense, it's like, I think it's the most sort of overt rallying cry for the kind of, like, older male. Yeah. You know, the kind of older bloke. A lot of these are probably war veterans. Yeah. Uh, the film sort of is very explicit in that, particularly World War II veterans. One mm. guy who has, like, general Patton on his wall. And bizarrely has two fully all auto heavy machine guns <laughs> that he bought back from the war yeah just put them in his rucksack yeah yeah, yeah just carried them through
2: <laughs> well listen you never know when you need it and yeah. everyone has lots of things like look how many kind of like bags for life we all have <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. true you know, it's yeah. no different you know you got your bag your life you got your you know your browning m1 machine gun <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know. that's
0: true safely
1: stored stowed away in a cupboard <laughs> <laughs> yes,
0: but that's the thing I love so much about that. In terms of what we're talking about, in terms of the, the the cultural artifact, is that this the third one is an explicit rallying cry to those kinds of people. Yeah, these people look out the window and tut and think the world's gone to the dogs because all of these values that they uphold or used to uphold in their eyes are crumbling. Mm. It's, you know, and it's it's the most visceral sort of visual representation of the disconnect between the old yeah. and the young. You know oh what man, I mean? You're just yeah.
1: ref- they're just refusing to believe that it might be them that are changing. Yeah, not, yeah, It's yeah. not necessarily the world. And they they were once those kids, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's, yeah, hmm.
0: fascinating. In the last half an hour, I mean, 1985 was a great year for seeing, spoilers, seeing the villain get blasted out of a window with a rocket launcher.
2: Yeah.
0: Vasion yeah. USA did the same thing.
2: I think, I think this film and canon in general had, had a real are of um, making cars inexplicably explode. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it... You know, you could go. <laughs> I don't know what they put in these cars or something, but like you know, you could just scratch the you know the car with a key and it would explode. Yeah, yeah like yeah. you know, there'd be like one tap, like you know,
1: one shot with a gun, and all of a sudden, like you know, it's like Hiroshima. Yeah, <laughs> there's a bit in the third one. Is it the third one where he, she goes to? He goes to get his mail, doesn't he? And she leaves the handbrake oh, off. Oh, that or is the weirdest the way they <laughs> the way they explain that away
0: is hilarious. Because we did a little marathon last week. It was very it was very lovely, yeah. uh, but we couldn't quite hack death wish 3 could we because we're all old and we all work nine to five Monday to friday jobs um (laughs) but we watched the second half the following day and the way they explain away her like his love interest death like he just pulls outside a house pulls outside a mail goes i need to get some mail it's just all right and then the the criminals coming i mean also the film series you know obviously the violence towards women is is not good in any of them but after the subsequent act, which sort of restarts Cursey's quest for revenge, he'll reconnect with another woman, who then also dies. Yeah, you know, and yeah. she dies as weird as it sounds in the best way. Yeah. Take the handbrake off; she just rolls off and explodes. It, it, it'd be yeah.
2: like if you're somebody out there who's really kind of struggled in life. You you feel like you're kind of cursed with bad luck, or you're thinking, "Oh, I really can't catch a break at the moment." I would I mean I mean I would in that way definitely recommend kind of watching the Death Wish films cuz you look at this character Paul Kersey and You just can't seem to catch a break if so if he even like you know shares a cup of coffee with someone um it's 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 a death sentence like they're gonna get blown up or you know so something despicable is gonna happen to them they're gonna get shot into space or whatever it is like they're just you know as as soon as they even kind of share a glance it's all over
1: it just it's because i don't know. It's weird that he's that he's the only character in any of these films that has any real kind of agency, <laughs> and yet he's the one that's kind of attracting all of this destruction and stuff. It's just bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And again, the woman in Death
0: Wish through the love interest, she works in the prison systems or the justice system. Oh yeah, and she yeah. represents this sort of like this view that oh yeah, like someone just needs to do something about it. It's like, well, what do you mean? Like oh, well, I've been working with these creeps and freaks. Yeah, for years and nothing's changing. Someone we to go out there and do something. So it's this idea that even the justice system's sick of it, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. So further sort of validating, Kersze's. What What is your favorite? Uh, I
1: Death Wish film. I think out of all of them that I watched, it, I think you might share my opinion on this one. Mm-hmm. It's Death Death the Death Wish two. Yeah, agreed. The yeah. one in Los Angeles because. To me, the first one was very enjoyable to watch and, you know, it's clear how it kind of kick-started this bizarre franchise. But it was a bit too plain and a bit too kind of straight-edged in terms of that kind of revenge thriller thing. And and it was almost too well-made for it to be gleefully enjoyable. Mm. And then the second one which is when canon started to get involved they introduced like you said that slight sort of slapstick approach to the to the violence and to to the mayhem and then and i really I really kind of got on with that and i thought um the second one was definitely the best paced uh, had probably the best practical effects or the th- as you said the last half an hour of the third one was Inc- weirdly incredible, and just just how much kind of stunt work and yeah. pyrotechnics were involved. But this, I think, yeah, for me, the second one, if I were to recommend any Death Wish film 20, it would probably be that one, just because it encapsulates that sort of um, the, the artifact that we were talking about earlier, the best.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I, I the first one's interesting because, like, it is sort of tying into that study of the sort of sprawling dark urban sort of Metropolis thing, mm, yeah. <laughs> Milton Keynes. <laughs> um, you know, but like, uh you know, it, it sort of wouldn't feel, I was just having a quick look online, like, have you have seen uh, Abel Ferrara's, a lot of Abel Ferrara's films are, like, are quite similar mm. in terms of that dirtiness. So you yeah. like miss For- got Miss 45, which is another revenge film. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it wouldn't seem like that a miss from that. But where I think the sequel is superior is that I think canon, they don't take it As seriously, yeah, and that's both enjoyable in the sort of like sort of sense of of watching an action film, but also problematic (laughs) further in the way it treats the theme. So I'm not sort of discrediting that, but Mm. I think just the way that they they are so so open in ramping up Mm. the worst aspects, but also simultaneously the sort of better visual stuff like the, the way it's shot like yeah. the neon yeah you know like it just feels a bit more self aware
2: i feel like it makes it slightly less reprehensible when you take away any sort of serious message from it yeah and i feel like whether intentionally or not that's what canon films did when they took over the Death wish franchise cuz they're just silly
0: i mean the criminals even in in, in um the criminal element, should I say, of Death Wish Two—they're just like a low-level, shitty street gang, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I don't know. This. I, I. I mean. I. I think I, your mileage may vary with the sort of the the effective nature of the self-reflexivity of canon. I think it's there, but I completely can get it if you don't buy that. I just think it's more, morally reprehensible bullshit because <laughs> it definitely is that too. Yeah. Let's move away a little bit then from from Bronson, uh, from old. St. Bernard Face Bronson. Uh, And just talk about a couple of other darlings of canon cinema. Chuck Norris. You can't not talk about canon films and not not mention Chuck Norris. I mean, this guy was incredibly prolific within canon, wasn't
2: he? He was, and... I mean, he had done, I think, a handful of films before, like, canon, canon films. Like, I um he, did, he was in uh, the Bruce Lee movie. Um, Way of the Dragon. Yeah, Way of the Dragon, yes. Um, and um, I, I believe he'd done, a, like, a handful of things. He was, like, a, before that, he was a famous kind of martial artist. and But other than that, he hadn't really broke into films yet. But um, when Golan uh, and Globus got their hands on him, um, they were the ones who transformed him in, into, at least for the nineteen eighties and for the kind of action genre, into a household name. Um, yeah, mm. beyond that,
1: just Walker Texas Ranger, right? It was something else that uh, more oh, yeah. additional people could all yeah. of a sudden digest. Well,
2: yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's just, this would have been kind of pre Walker Texas Ranger, but like this, like I think before, yeah, he was mainly still in the martial arts. Kind oh, of world yeah. slash semi name for the Bruce Lee film, but these guys were like, right, we want this guy to be our action hero. Can, we've yeah, got yeah. we've got Charles Bronson, but you know he is getting on, and we need someone a bit fresher. Yeah, you know, um, you know, who can do the stunts, who can, you know, legitimately kick ass. You know, that's why you've got all the kind of missing in action invasion USA, and he was just like yeah he encapsulated especially like in the 1980s in America a kind of Ronald Reagan era of kind of like America first and like you know we're strong we're powerful we're manly you know we can beat anyone Chuck Norris in a way was like the visual and encapsulation of this he was just this kind of like Muscular, macho, denim ginger clad, beard, denim clad, yeah. ginger beard, ass kicker. Not great at uh, delivering dialogue um, <laughs> or acting. Yeah, Has um, the
1: smile though, doesn't he? That's what Charles yeah. Bronson didn't have. I feel, because no. he had that kind of like charming smile. Like, he could yeah. always wink at the camera with that smile. I think,
2: and and he did, and he did have the stare as well. Like yeah. he had the oh, stare. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, there was, you know, quite a few shots in these films where, you know, they cut to Chuck Norris staring and you just knew. yeah, You yeah. knew he's going to fuck somebody up soon. Boy did a canon uh, kind of make use of uh, the skills that Chuck Norris did have. And, yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I think you in particular um, have a lot of kind of uh, favourites when it comes to kind of Chuck mm. Norris films.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's. I mean, it's. It started off like a lot of these things do is ironic, but um, I don't know. Like, I actually genuinely. I and mean, we've got our own top threes, which I'll save a bit of this for our top three canon films a bit later on towards the climax of the episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I it's beyond that now. I, I actually do quite like his some of his movies. Yeah. Um, I, that point about the sort of the the sort of conservative being the sort of the visual representation of that conservative ideology is. So key, I think, to his success because it ties in with that canon idea. I mean, canon films, the identity of their films, their bread and butter was placating that ideology. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck Norris does it. Bronson did it, albeit in a more domesticated way, as we discussed earlier. Yeah. What's interesting about Chuck Norris's films, if you think about something missing in action, it's this tasteless historical revisionism. You know, it's about this idea of action films healing national wounds i mean vietnam was a national embarrassment well, global yeah. embarrassment for the united states yeah yeah so it's fitting that cannon would send in chuck norris to yeah. save because yeah. it's like he goes to save some if some troops that have been captured after the war yes and winning the war for america again yeah in pretty the much sense.
2: they're almost asking the question of like uh you know, what if Chuck Norris went back and actually won the Vietnam War On <laughs> single his <own>. handedly? Yeah. <laughs> and he does. Yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of what the action cinema was at the time because you got, yeah, you like, um, you got Rambo as well, which is yeah. isn't exa- exactly the same. Well, Rambo Part 2. Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah. But um, yeah, and Chuck Norris, in a way, encapsulates that kind of like idealistic kind of American patriot kind of view. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cinema reflected that a lot. So you had like, yeah, these macho stars like you had like Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and then Chuck Norris's like Canon version of like, oh, we can do it too. We got Chuck Norris. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know,
0: uh... I mean, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? Because we're talking about this idea of viewing these films as a cultural artefact. It's what what impresses me so much. <laughs> Not impresses actually when I think about it, but the way that Canon are so sort of aware of the. Separate sort of enemies that America faced. So it's Vietnam at first. Yeah. Then it goes on to Russians. Mm. And then it's terrorism with Delta Force. Yes. The sort of the threat of terrorists on your home patch. Yeah. You yeah. know, or at least sort of threatening the home patch. Yeah. These wars previously, the, the enemy is this sort of like um, unknowable entity that's sort of everywhere, but not really a threat to you day-to-day... Yeah. ...in the sense that it's sort of more tangible. Whereas now, the act of, like, you know, terrorism, acts of terror, you know, they do that as well with Delta Force, don't
2: they? Yeah, yeah. Lee Marvin's
0: in Delta Force, isn't
2: he? He is in Delta Force, yes. And uh, apparently this was um, so... With uh, the with doubt of force, um, I believe it was a film reaction to an actual kind of plane hijacking yes. in the 80s. yeah, 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 oh, Christ, really. And uh, <laughs> it really happened, and apparently... um Golan just directed it. Menachem Golan did, oh, and sorry, he, yeah. um, so apparently he did get a writer or some sort of assistant to actually go to Lebanon to actually kind of, like do a little bit of journalistic kind of research into what's going on. Oh my God. So that is a light
0: cannon to do that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it
2: absolutely is. Just so then he could make a Chuck Norris movie out of it. where <laughs>
0: That's proper journalism. That is. If only The is. Guardian
2: started doing that more. If only,
0: yeah. if only. Will they send Chuck Norris into an acid party in East London? <laughs>
1: yeah. You Hello. know,
2: this is what, you know, you look at all the, you know, the, the, all the garbage you kind of read in, like The Sun and The Daily Mail and stuff like that, and you're like... Oh, you think all that? You know what? Why don't you go and write a Chuck Norris movie about it? Then I'll be yeah, interested. Yeah. Um, Chuck Norris and Abby Titmus. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm, gl- I'm glad someone's <laughs> finally thinking about putting those two titles together. <laughs> yeah. Like that—that yeah. is—that yeah. is my De Niro and Pacino. That is, yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. some people say Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro, and he is like the pinnacle of cinema. And I'm like, we're not there yet. No. Norris Titmus.
1: <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, agreed. Do you guys do you guys think that um, you know, pre I'm thinking sort of pre-9/11, there was a sort of a, a refusal to acknowledge vulnerability yeah. with with the United States, mm. and especially in their kind of creative mm. cult, uh, cultural output. And it was only after 9/11 that they sort of started to realize like that it was I guess okay to yeah. appear vulnerable in the cuz a lot of like post-9/11 films Were more portraying them as victims, right? Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, and and kind of, or at least
2: showing some sort of flaw. Yeah, yeah. Whereas here, it's like, oh, it's all right. We'll send the Americans in. Yeah, exactly. Basically, yeah, absolutely everything that Team America was parodying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're still riding the high. Years later, yeah,
1: they were riding the high of kind of the you know, post-World War Two and all the, the victory of that, and that continued yeah. right the way through to 2001. It's bizarre. It is. I mean, I think if you consider the historical backdrop of why that is as well in the terms
0: mm. of the the 80s is that you're still very much in, in the Cold War, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, and it is obviously a war, you know, obviously not much action in terms of military action, but it's an ideological war, isn't it? And I think yeah. that's, you could argue why so much of the message in action cinema is more about the image of America. Yeah, yeah. You said that before about sending the Americans in, they'll set it right, you know. Mm. It's almost this sort of reassurance to not only the Americans, but America's allies, that they're the best ones through the action film. (laughs) They're the ones that are going to save everyone. Yeah, But it's interesting you bring that up, that sort of vulnerability coming in. When the act of terror actually happens internally, Yeah, yeah, it starts to be more open to the idea of being victims as opposed to saviors yeah yeah, yeah. exactly and Interesting. It,
1: and it's still that whole thing is still a recruitment tool uh the the idea of you know we're, we're victims here we need saving but it's just interesting that that didn't happen pre uh pre 9-11 yeah. yeah but why would it need to when you got chuck norris yeah, exactly yeah, yeah yeah and charles bronson
0: <laughs> and michael dudikoff We can't not talk about Michael Dudikoff. I think he's actually arguably the most likable one out of the three. Not even arguably, definitely.
2: He is. You know, you can't talk. You know, similar to kind of Chuck Norris, you can't talk about canon Films without talking about the American Ninja himself. Oh my God, Michael Dudikoff. Yeah. This film, this film is it's it's almost like it's kind of more. He's like a more charming kind of Chuck Norris, essentially, and more handsome. Yeah, and
0: more likable, and less concerned with. Right-wing ideology, it seems.
2: No, no, he's just, you know... Obviously, the film is still absolutely layered with, uh, you know... (laughs) Troubling, you know, sort of
0: race politics. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, you know, and again, Canon are asking the important questions. What if, you know, the sacred martial arts of the East get given... To an American, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, American ninjas. That Michael Dude, I think before this, he'd like he'd only in a couple of films. I think he was like a supporting character in one of Tom Hanks' early comedies. Or oh something wow, okay. like that. Um, and he's got this kind of like you know, he he looks, he's got like a, he does look like James Dean. Like he's got a kind of James, James Dean, Dean kind vibe of look, to him. yeah, yeah. And obviously they try and milk that a little bit with him to make him look a bit more kind of edgy and kind of like you know a bit outsidery. But he also has ninja skills, yeah. And so uh, James Dean didn't have no. And he's in the you know the US <laughs> Army, so he's uh, you know America's weapon. <laughs> um, uh, they're in. Some, uh, you know... Is it Hawaii? Some nondescript Central American country, which undoubtedly has got some uh, American fingers in pies, if you will. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) uh, he's just, you know, on the army base. He's doing his thing. He's getting in trouble. He's not playing by the rules. What else is going to happen in a Central American country? Of course, Ninja's going to turn up. Yeah. (laughs) Because, of course, they are. Um, Still a problem to this day, I think. Yeah, honestly, like, you know... (laughs) I mean, it's all over the world, isn't it? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, you're on the train or something, you're just trying to get to work, mind your own business, yeah. all of a sudden ninjas come in, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, yeah. of, you know, evil ninjas. Yeah, um, yeah they're not the good ones. Yeah, yeah, not the
0: good ones, no. Yeah, go to um, Lidl, come back with shurikens. Yeah. <laughs> in, your, in your clothes. In your bag for life, it's, You know, in <laughs> your for life, yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, this, guy, uh, this guy kicks the ninjas' asses and saves a few people in the US Army. Mm. And um, Thank God. Well you know, somebody has to thank thank God they've got someone with an American mindset but with the skills of a ninja. But the, the, the fight scenes are really well done. They, I think one of the things about Cannon is that they they were good at delegating. Yeah. They were good at going yeah. like, Look, we've got people here who can do martial arts and we're gonna let them do their thing. Yeah. Like we're not gonna you know do do your flips, do your kicks. It was a. It's a very well choreographed movie in terms of the fight scenes. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and you know, Michael Dudikoff is a quite kind of charming presence. Yeah, he's and and, and and yeah, like it, you know, he's not Marlon Brando in his prime, but he's he's a quite good actor. Like he's, yeah, he's not bad, is yeah. Not terrible. No. <laughs> like he, you know, a lot of the films sometimes were lacking kind of acting skills, but he's he is good. I um, what you mean by that? But. Uh, <laughs> with the American Ninja um, film, it uh, there's a side character of Steve James, oh, which uh, baby. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, blossoms into a kind of multi-film kind of partnership between uh, Michael Dudikoff and uh, Steve James, where they did a few kind of action movies of similar ilk's, and you know they're very good double acts, brilliant, very good double act. You know, Steve James who um is this um very muscular, African American kind of like he's he's more of a although I think he also was a martial artist as well, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, I believe um, so. Yeah. But like, you know, he's more of the brawn muscle Whereas like Michael Dudikoff's flips and kicks, sleeker, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know they're almost like the Teddy Sheringham and Andy Cole of uh, the <laughs> '80s action cinema. <laughs> I wondered uh, if it was going to be a football metaphor. <laughs> I thought it was only well, about time. Like, yeah, it yeah, had to, had to fit in there. Somewhere. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm not uh, complaining. Yeah, wow. Well, at least it's like an hour in. I haven't gone straight in. With yeah, a one, you need know. to go in straight in with the yeah Teddy Sheringham <laughs> reference.
0: Yeah, yeah great. I, I love it. I mean. I seem to remember us thinking the second one was the best one. Am I right in remembering that? Cuz we watched them together. It was quite a while ago now, but I I seem to think we really enjoyed the second one the most.
2: I think you're correct. Because
0: it ends yeah. in it's got that sort of typically bombastic canon style ending, which ties beautifully with ninjas. So. It
2: does. It does. Yeah. Sadly, they only do the two they, they only do the two American ninjas together. There's there's two more after that which are they less said about than the better. Yeah. Um, but the first two, they've got the beautiful kind of, you know, the the bromance between Dudikov and James. Yeah. And um, similar to De Niro, Pacino and... Uh, you know, sharing him with and Andy Cole. But... Sharing him with and Andy Cole. Uh, <laughs> Norris and Titmus. You know, the, <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, well, yeah.
0: Uh, and, uh... It says a lot about canon films because we sort of talk about them having this sort of um, finger on the pulse. They really cashed in on that the martial arts craze, didn't they? Because the martial arts craze exploded in eighties in the eighties, didn't it, in America? Um, and they had loads of ninja films.
2: They did. They and, did. And um, I don't know.
0: I just think it's really great that they they cashed in on that and they did such a good job of it.
2: They did. The, like the, I think they had a trilogy. I think I've mentioned one before, but they had a, they had Revenge of the Ninja, I think Return of the Ninja. And yeah, Ninja Free The Domination, all kind of, con- I think they're considered like a loose trilogy, even though they're completely unrelated. I think they share one cast member. Yep. Franco Nero is in one of oh, them. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, with his voice dubbed uh, with an American actor, even though Franco Nero is an incredible actor, but <laughs> apparently is, uh, his, but, yeah, it didn't sound American enough for uh, Golan and Globus, so uh, he <laughs> got that's the dub job. <laughs> that's funny as itself,
0: isn't it? It's this approximation of what they think America wants. You've said this before about the out- the outsider. Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating element. They're they're sort of deciding what they think American culture wants and yeah, needs, and yet yeah. yeah, they get it right. They some, they obviously they they really seem to understand.
2: It's so like I was when I,
0: climate when, I when I want.
2: when I watched the um, Electric Boogaloo documentary. A lot of people said, like you know, occasionally they did have the finger on the on the pulse, yeah. um, but it is obviously like you talking about two fifty-something kind of Israeli guys trying to kind of talk to a younger American audience. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that's gonna hit and sometimes it won't. And even in the hits there'll be things which are slightly askew. Yeah. And then sometimes they're very askew. (laughs) It wouldn't be canon without some sense of naffness, would it? No, No, no. And but you know, you you do appreciate just the fact that they're kind of swinging for the fences. And you know, good or bad, you you gotta respect it and you gotta appreciate it. Yeah. Agreed, definitely.
0: Yeah. Right. So before we conclude this discussion, I'm gonna ask uh, you first, Ben. Ooh. Top three Canon films. Okay. So Canon are known for their breadth. Of genre we have focused mostly on action and a little bit of discussion about a couple of other filmmakers they work with but they really had a real broad range yeah they're hoping yeah. to reveal that with our top threes <laughs> so go for it ben
1: i feel like um some of these are going to overlap uh, we're gonna we're gonna have joint favorites here but um i'll go from quickly number one in no particular order uh runaway train okay that, i've not seen this you know oh, which i'm yeah fantastic man it's just like two escaped convicts getting on board a train in alaska and the train is a runaway train like it's definitely inspired films like sort snowpiercer it's especially maybe only in like a visual sense okay and in, in a kind of plot sense but it's like it's really good it won a couple of academy awards i think wow yeah um, yeah yeah uh, yeah, just a really decent, really succinct action thriller set on a train, which is always a bonus because everything's whooshing past you all the time. Yeah, yeah. The original um, script
0: was written by Kurosawa, wasn't it? There <laughs> really? was a rigid, there was a script bounding round that was it was rewritten, but Kurosawa yeah, pushed yeah. the original idea. Yeah, oh, okay,
1: that's really interesting. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: This, is this, I have to. Uh, I also had Runaway Train as one of mine, and I agree, it's it's it's. Be- like the the scenes on the train are just so beautifully shot. It's incredible, yeah. and you have to say if it if it wasn't a canon film, it would be like considered like an like I think like an all time classic of like Hollywood action cinema. Yeah, definitely. But I think called, one of the unfortunate things is like you know when you saw the canon logo before a film, it immediately takes some people out of it, and it just inherently gets taken less seriously. Yeah, but. It is like it's incredible. It's John Voigt, Eric yeah. Roberts mm. and you know, it's incredibly stylish, it's brutal.
1: Yeah, it's very real, tangible kind of great yeah. great stunts again, you know, see what that they it's strange that canon films are I didn't think they'd be as great at stunt work as they were. but yeah. I, mean, I suppose that that speaks to their background in yeah. martial arts cinema, maybe.
2: And I yeah. think this is one of the ones when they were going down the kind of giving kind of artistic directors kind of carte blanche to do whatever they want. I think this was one of the more successful. Mm. Iterations of that, and this is where it was actually kind of successful. Yeah, I'm not sure what the box office was like, but in terms of like actually making a fine piece of cinema, yeah, really. "Railway Train" actually kind of fits the bill there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, give it a watch if you haven't. Um, it's fantastic. Yeah, I will. Um,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm... I did try and dig it out in prep for try and find it It it's actually really hard to find on Blu-ray I've got the Blu-ray i have got
1: the Blu-ray. yeah yeah go on then number, number
0: two
1: number two uh, will be Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 solid choice yeah, yeah I yeah. mean just in stark contrast to the first one yeah I mean we've talked about this already in the past Lee but just the fact that Toby Hooper was like you know what I'm not doing the first one again I'm going to do something else instead. I'm going to do this, and it's just like it's like a theme park, a really horrible, nasty, yeah, with with those quite naff sets and like blue and purple lighting everywhere, and um, it's just it's a gnarly, gristly piece of work. It Um, is, yeah. I love what I love so much about it is that it's a great sequel in the
0: sense it really doesn't share a lot of DNA with the its predecessor. No, I think we sort of said this before, but. Always mention James Cameron. We talk about sequels because when he talked about the relationship between Alien and aliens, mm, in the yeah. sense that he can't make Alien again, why would you bother? Yeah, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is equally a landmark moment for the horror genre, yeah, a, a landmark moment for cinema, as far as I'm concerned. I like yeah. it's one of my absolute favorite films, but I love too, like, mm. I fully because you recommend it to me, right, enough, age, and yeah, I fully okay. expected yeah, yeah. to hate it Same. on the basis that I just love the original so much, yeah, and I was a bit pompous about it, but. It, It's genuinely brilliant.
2: Well, I I think it's what, like, uh, I don't think many horror sequels nowadays kind of have the balls to do anything like this. Franchise horrors nowadays tend to kind of, they tend to still do successful, but they just run out of steam in terms of ideas because they just they're trying to do the same thing. Yeah, They're, they're, you know, and they're trying, they're trying to outscare what it was. Obviously it's more difficult when you make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it was an iconic piece of horror cinema it's you know it was one of the kind of early pioneers of the kind of you know that genre in the 70s um so yeah you can't just do the same again it's not it's just not going to be very good i think that's what and that's why that franchise has gone downhill now is because they've just tried to go like recreate yeah. What made the original so magic, so Toby Hooper going actually, I'm just gonna make like a really ridiculous over the top horror comedy, yeah, and just put in all sorts of ridiculousness over the top, add a lot of the gore which was actually missing from the first film, and just make something really silly that got him excited, yeah, uh um, yeah, although apparently uh. <laughs> Golan and Globus were not too excited about it when they saw it first because that was not what they were expecting because oh, <laughs> um, right, yeah. they were expecting another horror film and not a <laughs> uh, comedy with uh, Dennis Hopper chainsaw fights. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, so good. But, Brilliant. You know, when you put that on paper, how could you not want that in the film? Yeah, mm. yeah. I yeah. So, That's one of the times they got it wrong. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, to spoil it again, that was also one of my films as well. So it looks oh, like we're okay. two yeah. for two, so we'll have to. Two. We're like going to have to see, and this is uh, maybe a bit of tension in the episode, whether we're going to go three for three. Three for three in three. terms okay. of uh, you know, favourite canon films. I,
0: I, think, I think I know which one you're going to go for. Yeah, you
1: know it's another Toby Hooper. It's yeah. like, Life Force.
2: Yes. Ooh, yeah. Very nice film. Yeah. Is that no? I'm (laughs) going
1: to jump on this after you've said it. Yeah, I'll just briefly touch on it. Um, it's a baffling science fiction film, which was it was kind of one of the canon. Canon were very guilty of over marketing their films, and that they marketed it as like the next big thing. Uh, and it it wasn't that, but it's really unique as well. Like the idea, it kind of proceeded. Like it follows in the, you know, the, the sort of uh, hysteria about like sexually transmitted infections, okay, and that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So it's got some interesting, very slight kind of themes to it. Um, but yeah, it's just a really, really kind of delightful science fiction film. I thought, uh, and yes. yeah, made with intention. Yeah,
0: hundred yeah. percent. I genuinely, genuinely. Love this movie. There's mm. no irony here with me. Like, what I love so much about it is that it is sort of seeking to tack itself onto and replicate the sort of quality of the sci fi Leviathans like Alien. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the yeah. design worker, I think, from Alien is involved in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Geiger? Or uh, is it inspired no, by Geiger? Yeah, is it was inspired. But I'm sure there's some creative crossover there. But mm. it's just, it reaches so high for the same things. And yet, yeah, look at, you know, art- artistically and thematically perhaps doesn't hit the same heights yeah and it certainly hasn't had the cultural impact that alien has obviously no however i just i admire so much about that yeah and it actually it it doesn't feel necessarily derivative no in any way it actually sort of breaks new ground and it captures and it's and it still has that sort of campy canon nature to it yeah which makes it so fucking like digestible and enjoyable yeah i don't know i absolutely adore the movie i really really do and I just think it's a real, I think it's a real underrated gem, yeah. just in the sci-fi genre generally.
1: Yeah, it made eleven million dollars and it cost twenty-five million. It was a real, it was a real fucking flop, man. Because it was um, one of Toe Pooper's
0: like three-picture deal he signed, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it didn't go well for him, which is a fucking shame. Because I just think it's excellent. It's my yeah. second favorite Toe Pooper film. Like, oh wow, easy. yeah,
1: no, it is great.
2: Yeah, and it's something like that. And this is where you got to give Canon credit because like. As much as it didn't work out for them in the long run, they were willing to take kind of bold chances. And it's something which is severely missing from kind of blockbuster cinema nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, um, a lot of it, like, there, there is, there isn't that capacity to kind of try something bold and out there and a bit weird. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe, maybe Nolan is probably the only person who kind of gets kind of carte blanche yeah, to, d- to yeah. kind of do but whatever he-, he wants but even then he's had to jump ship to another studio because Warner Brothers had had enough of him. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, um, he, but even he, I mean, hes I think he is
0: not to sort of to cut in too yeah. much Lee but like even he is hamstrung by the demands of placating a mainstream audience like, absolutely we yeah. talked about it in an early episode about him but mm. you know inception's not that inventive i don't care what anyone says i mean yeah i, I know that sounds really pompous i don't yeah. mind inception i don't dislike yeah. it but it's not as inventive as it made itself out to be
2: i mean it's <laughs> i mean I think it's safe to say it's certainly not as bold a film as life force damn right it is. Um, <laughs> you know cuz uh you know one thing i will say um, because i do like inception and i do think i you know i do think it is quite a kind of inventive film but it certainly doesn't have kind of space vampires trying to take over london no it does and doesn't. it doesn't try and do it's it's both uh, yeah, yeah it doesn't try and do a vampire movie sci-fi invasion movie and whatever hell else was going on in that <laughs> film um whilst obviously ticking a lot of cannon boxes yeah. for what they want as well yeah, yeah. um yeah. Yeah. you know in <laughs> a lot of good,
1: gratuitous nudity in their uh, life e- yeah. yeah i yeah. don't know i feel like it was it was basically what ed Wood tried to do with plan nine from outer space doing it properly with loads of money yeah very good yeah way it, like an
2: edward with talent yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and money yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i like that yeah
1: it's yeah. cool um that's I like. some good choices, Ben. I like cool. It.
0: Thank you. Right, Lee. Go on then. So you've obviously you guys have had some crossover, but I can see in your notebook there's one there. Yeah. Yes.
2: Um, I was actually at like you know not to be kind of contrary to a discussion we had earlier, but it's um, a film we've talked about.
1: Inception. <laughs> yeah, it's Inception. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, it's um Shakespeare in Love, no. <laughs> um it is uh American Ninja. Oh, that was and... me, Delta Force 2, the Columbian Connection. Wow, well, as much as I do enjoy uh Doubt Force Two the Columbian Connection, Aaron especially Norris. Aaron Norris's uh, superb direction. Um <laughs> It's you know. on nepotism, is it? It's Chuck Nepentum, Norris's yeah, brother yeah. directing yeah. him. Oh, Aaron's free. Um <laughs> Aaron and he directs don't matter. <laughs> Get yeah, him out of the yeah. house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think he directs like he's been kicked in the head by Chuck a few too many times. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's remember big... the scenes
0: with the stunt
2: Stuntman. Oh, goodness me, yeah. yeah like, you know, like, you know, you just know. got the impression. That's the thing about
0: canon films at their worst. It's like yeah. you can just tell that nobody gives a shit at yeah. a certain point.
2: Continuity, what's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, carry but on. Yes, yeah, so American Ninja. I know we discussed that, um, you know, we spoke in the past and we both enjoyed American Ninja 2 more. Um, but I feel like it, maybe it is like a sense of kind of recency bias. Mm. At the moment I've been, well, I'm back in work now, but I uh, had a little bit of time off of a broken ankle. Yeah. Um, Not for roundhouse kicking people, it's for uh, <laughs> being terrible at football.
0: I thought it was um, a particularly aggressive arm wrestle.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a foot wrestle.
0: <laughs> a buttery foot wrestle.
2: <laughs>
0: You're yeah. fucking really hoping yeah. your died at this <laughs>
2: I'm going to send it yeah. to well, weirdly, this episode. Weirdly, Quentin Tarantino was their uh, director. <laughs> of, uh, um, I don't know why. He just yeah, liked yeah. the movement. Um,
0: he yeah. yeah. um, um, didn't need a tripod. He just used a direction. <laughs>
2: But, um, you know, with 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 this I've had to, had to take a lot of time off and um, it's meant I've watched a lot of films. And at first I tried to watch films with kind of, you know, do you watch films you haven't seen before and, like, mm-hmm. you know, discover yeah. new kind of uh, cinema? Um, but it got to a point and uh, one of the evenings uh, my poor unfortunate girlfriend who was uh, looking after me a lot of the time making sure... Oh, shout-out <laughs> to Meg. Yeah. yeah Hello, yeah. Meg. <laughs> um, And... You know, it was... uh, What are we going to watch? I've I've got just the movie. (laughs) Do you like ninjas? Do you like America? Well... Both questions,
0: I assume, were answered with a yes. Didn't wait.
2: (laughs) Didn't wait for the answer. It (laughs) was just in the drive. (laughs) The disc was just going in before Uh, she could leave an answer. And, yeah, um, (laughs) my poor, unfortunate, caring girlfriend who took care of me, I repaid her with... uh, American Ninja. And to be fair, we both enjoyed it. We both, yeah. like, again, like Yay. the things you said before in the film, it's just, it almost is the perfect canon film because it encapsulates the kind of like crude American jingoism with the kind of obsession with ninjas. Yeah. Using the people in the film who are actually good at martial arts and actually taking advantage of their skills very well. It's a kind of solid enough kind of not, well, it's still ridiculous, but in the realms of canon film, it's uh, more restraint, <laughs> even if it is ninjas in Central America. Yeah. Um, it was one of the films where they absolutely achieved what they were aiming to do successfully, like where the finger kind of was on the pulse. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know. yeah, yeah. yeah and I yeah. think for me, that's why... I, I had to have, have American Ninja in the list because it is quintessential
1: canon.
0: Yeah, I think. In all the best ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: agreed. Very good. Got it, mate. What's your. Uh, did I get two of yours or just the one? Well, I, I was
0: sort of to- toying. So, um, yeah, I've always said Life Force. Can't talk about that film enough. But no, it deserved overlap, Ben. Honestly, <laughs> it is. It's brilliant. It yeah, really yeah. I was tempted to mention Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, but I think my first choice, which I'm absolutely certain about, is Invasion USA. Oh, yes. yeah. So this is a Chuck Norris action vehicle. Yeah. Hands down my favorite Chuck Norris film. It, again it's it's canon indulging both their best and worst impulses. Yeah. It's sort of like about basically America being invaded by Russians, isn't it? It's Russians. Is it Russians? I,
2: I, f- I, f- I think it's Russians, but then I f- you know it's 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 also that classic thing where it's uh they just sound foreign. Yeah, yeah. And right. uh, yeah, so again, the, fear the fear of classic, the other. Yeah, the yeah, classic yeah. 80s well, I xenophobia mean, well yeah ultimate and to be honest with you it hasn't gone away too much but no. for foreign equals bad yeah,
1: yeah. oh yeah it's you officially know. Soviet slash Cuban okay <laughs> so there you go so, okay,
0: so it's it's that sort of yeah the finger on the pulse of that Cold War anxiety who's the man to fucking medicate this it's Chuck Norris yeah. they invade and there's honestly some of the best sort of action sequences I think canon have done are in that film there's the oh, shootout yeah. scene in the mall and there's that final sequence that is fucking mental, just with like the American military and Chuck Norris fighting in the streets of America, and it ends just like Death Wish three with the antagonist being blown out of the window by a rocket launcher.
2: <laughs> How is there a better way to end a film?
0: Exactly. It's sort either. of the because you talk about that death stare of Chuck Norris. That's his yeah. best one. Yeah. He sort of slowly unsheathes the rocket launcher. It's sort of yeah. a bit sort of vaguely erotic. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, yeah. it's yeah. time. And he just, <laughs> yeah. But it's just it, again, it's that indulgence. Yeah, canon indulging the the best and worst. I think that's how they should be remembered. Yeah. And I think it's a film that perfectly captures that. Nice. I would recommend it. Um, Another film, uh, I I was going to say, Text of Chainsaw Massacre 2, I'm actually going to go Avenging Force. Oh, Oh, yes. yeah. Another
2: another of the Dudikoff James uh,
0: variety. Uh, This one, the weird thing about this one is that it seems a bit more self-critical. Yeah, and it's a bit more that like, the enemy isn't necessarily an ethnic minority in this film, which is strange for them. Yeah, uh, but it's I think it's like white, rich, and conservative America, isn't it? That's sort of the enemy in the, in this film, if I'm not mistaken.
2: You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah which it's... which is weird for yeah. canon to do that. Yeah. So there's
0: sort of an element of self reflexivity there. It's yeah. also fucking brutal. Yeah, like Steve James's family, including the child, get like shot to ribbons and blown up, and it's fucking. <laughs> Horrible, yeah. so hilariously yeah. horrible. Yeah, obviously, yeah. the way Canon do things, it's, yeah. it's never straight laced. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, an interesting film. I think that shows Canon's ability to sort of be a little bit, you know, to talk about not necessarily the problem just could from down below. Yeah, it's also there's there's, there's a sickness at the, it's the actually, top, it's, further top reaches yeah, of the American in a way, it's, yeah, it's
2: it's almost looking inwards at maybe some of the audience that may have again, maybe not necessarily intentionally. But like yeah some of some of the audience that might have actually been kind of excited about their other films, yeah, basically, if this was made in like the kind of like twenty like you know late twenty tens it would be trump supporters, like it's that sort of kind of like <laughs> yeah. Mid, yeah middle class white American kind of keep it great, like yeah. you know that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. crowds, and you know in this one, they're the bad guys, yeah you know, and yeah, that's yeah. you know that in that is in a way that's. That was what was interesting about it, and yeah, I, I forgot about that one, but that one's a really good choice, yeah.
0: Yeah, I just yeah. it's something because I was just thinking, yeah, I'd really want to talk about Tetsuo Massacre, too. But I thought, Avenging Force just blew in <laughs> in at the last yeah. minute, so yeah. that's what I'm going for. Best of both worlds, I guess. Indeed, we've got some bangers there, all <laughs> nice. oh, good films, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so canon can do it, they can, it can do it. Mm. Oh, goodness, void. So, there we have it, then, canon. Mm. Uh, discussed in great detail uh, <laughs> by your beloved Cinner boys. Now cinema Men. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Lee. Yeah, thank you, mate.
2: Thank you for having me. It's been a
0: real blast. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. you could sense the excitement in our voices, you know. This is something we really want to do for a long time, this this particular subject. And um yeah, it's been a joy having yeah. you on.
2: Honestly, I think we could have talked for about ten hours about canon films. Yeah. Just, oh, like, yeah. It was such an excitement and joy. Obviously at that point, like, I mean, I mean it's a tough enough as it is uh, for a viewer so yeah. well, listener <laughs> uh, even harder for a viewer because there's a, no visual but oh uh, no. well yeah you know um, I think uh, you know 10 hour podcast on canon I think maybe at some point uh, a podcast marathon yeah of sorts that you might know, be worth yeah, looking well, into Well maybe maybe that's a spin off we do which is uh, you know canon boys to canon men Cannon <laughs> <Boys> to uh, <laughs> you Man. know Yay, maybe yeah, that's yeah. Uh, maybe that's the, the next uh, little side project but well. uh, You know, we'll see. Absolutely,
0: I love that. It's a fucking great idea. (laughs) You've just heard it here, the genesis of something special. (laughs) Um, So, next week... Yes. As much as I hate to leave the subject of canon, we must look on to Pastures Anew. (laughs) And uh, Scream 6 is out. Yes. So we're going to go watch that. Mm. Uh, I think... Judging by a brief discussion in deciding what we were going to cover next week, we're both quite big fans of Scream and Wes Craven. So
1: yeah, I'm a big Wes Craven fan. I, I find Scream to be a bit of a curiosity, but uh, I do I do like a lot of the, the kind of content in it. Um, I'm more of a Nightmare on Elm Street man myself. If we're talking about Craven, but uh, yeah, I do um, I've got a lot of time for Scream as well. I think it's really interesting. So yeah, yeah, he's be fun. He's, a,
0: he's a filmmaker that's not afraid to use. His well, Tickly scream to comment on the sort of nature of the business, the yeah. media business, and the genre itself.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: So we're going to do that. So uh, wait for that one. In the meantime, enjoy Canon. Enjoy yes. us, and we'll see you in the next one. See you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye
2: bye.